You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our scripture reading is taken, first of all, from Genesis 25, beginning at verse 19 and reading through verse 28. This is the account of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Paden Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, Loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Our second scripture reading is taken from Romans 9, verse 6 to 13. Here are these verses against the background of the unbelief of most of the Jews. And what does that unbelief mean for the promises of God? Paul writes, it is not as though God's word had failed. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated at the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebecca's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac. Yet because the twins, yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older 
will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. I started a series on Malachi last week in my own congregation. So this afternoon we will do Malachi 1, the verses 1 to 5. An oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, the Lord says? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom, those are the descendants of Esau. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we shall rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel is that God loves you. And God has given many demonstrations of that fact. Also during this past week, just stop and think for a moment. We sing the song, count your blessings, name them one by one, while just silently in your own mind, just list one or two of the blessings that demonstrate that God loves you, which you experienced during this past week. It is so easy, brothers and sisters, to begin to doubt the fact that God loves you. And that is especially the case when God fails to meet our expectations. We think that God should be doing this or that as a manifestation of his love. But he doesn't do it. He does something else. And so before you know it, some doubt begins to creep into your soul. And you wonder, does God really love me? And that... Even though his name is the Lord, Yahweh, or literally there, yeah, yeah. And this morning we saw what that meant. God is committed to you. He always is. 
He's faithfully committed to you. He's actively committed to you. And all things work together for good in your life. Because God is the Lord. God loves you. And yet, even though we know our God as the Lord, we sometimes doubt whether he's really committed to us in love. And that, even though God has entered into a covenant with us, that's not the same as a relationship. God already had a relationship with Abraham, and then he entered into a covenant with him. So the two are not the same. The covenant is the formalizing of the relationship. Just like a couple gets engaged, and a couple has a relationship, and then they formalize that relationship with an engagement. And then later, the Lord willing, they, they formalize that relationship again with an official wedding ceremony. That's what a covenant is. It's the formalizing of an existing relationship. And this formalizing is meant to take away uncertainty in the relationship. Abraham was wondering, what's going to happen with this promise? It's been ten years and I still don't have a child. And God says, go outside, look at the stars of the heavens. And then that covenant is made. And so shall your offspring be. It's meant to take away the uncertainty in the relationship. That's what a covenant is. And even though God has entered into a relationship with us and formalized that relationship with the sacrament of baptism, right? I've washed you from all of your sins. I promise to be your father. I will lead your life. I will provide for you and turn all things to your benefit. Even though God has formalized that relationship in our lives too, we doubt. Sometimes. Whether God really loves us. And I begin my sermon this way. Because this is what was happening in Israel. Israel was doubting God's love. They had returned from exile. They were now a province of the Persian Empire. The temple had been rebuilt. It's a little hard to figure out exactly where Malachi fits in, you know, in the Ezra-Nehemiah scheme and so, but... We could say roughly they had been living in the promised land for some 65 years. And there they are, doubting God's love. Especially because they were familiar with the messianic 
prophecies. And those are prophecies that talk about the coming of the Messianic age. And the coming of the Messianic age is usually described in two different ways. One line of description is according to the kingdom of David. And so the Messianic age will look like the old Davidic kingdom and the time of David's great son, King Solomon. I mean, the borders of Israel would be greatly enlarged again. And you, time and time again, you hear the language of this Davidic kingdom coming back. And the second line of description in these messianic prophecies are the Garden of Eden, is the Garden of Eden language. The land is going to be so fruitful, it's going to look like paradise. And here they are, the people of Israel, for some 65 years back into the promised land. And they're just a small little group. In other words, the borders of Israel didn't look anything like the time of King David. And when it concerned the land, it certainly didn't look like the Garden of Eden either. It was tough slugging on the land. And another line of description, actually, which I forgot to mention for the Messianic age, is that the nations will come streaming and flowing to Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem has the Torah. Jerusalem has the law of God. Jerusalem knows how to live. They know how to make life work. And the Gentiles have hit rock bottom. They're tired of not knowing how to live. And so we're going to come to you. And also that, that wasn't happening. It's against this background that Malachi affirms God's love for his people. And he uses a literary device known as a disputation. There are six of these disputations in Malachi. And there's three parts to these disputations. First of all, it begins with a declaration. And then the declaration is followed with the people questioning the declaration. And then that questioning of the declaration is followed by the Lord's response to the people's questioning. And so here you have the first disputation. And the declaration is, I have loved you. And then comes the questioning. How have you loved us? And then comes the Lord's response to the questioning. Was not Esau Jacob's brother? But I have loved Jacob but hated Esau. How do you feel about that language? I have hated Esau. 
wouldn't surprise me that many of you have great difficulty with that language. Because you take that term, hating Esau, in the same sense as the Lord speaking about, I hate lying lips, I hate your sacrifices, your hypocritical sacrifices, a hate that is laden with all sorts of emotion, and then you say, how in the world could God hate Esau with that kind of a hate? However, and this is nothing new, God's covenant with his people, Israel, and remember, that's not the relationship. That's the formalizing of the relationship, meant to take away uncertainty in the relationship, is structured along the lines of covenants made in the ancient Near East. And if a mighty king or emperor would enter into a relationship with another nation, he would say, I have loved you. And then he would say, now I want you to love me in return. And it's the same with God's relationship with his church, with Israel. Just listen to the structure of the Ten Commandments. God says, I have loved you. I am the Lord your God who have brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And now, now I want you to abide in my love. I want you to love me in return and then follow the Ten Commandments. And if you want to go further, then follow sanctions if you don't abide in my love. And you read that in the Scriptures as well. And so when God says here about Jacob, I have loved you, what is God saying? God is saying, I have chosen Jacob. And I have entered into a relationship with Jacob. And I have formalized that relationship with a covenant. Jacob is my chosen vehicle. Jacob is the bearer of the Spirit. That's what the church is. The church is the bearer of the Spirit of God. You see that in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church. It's no different in the Old Testament, except it wasn't poured out. There was less Holy Spirit than in the New Testament. I have loved you. I have loved Jacob. I have chosen Jacob to be the bearer of my spirits. And in doing so, to be a blessing to the nations. That's why God gives his spirit to the church. In you, God had said to Abraham, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because you are the bearer of my spirit. 
And you are going to show the nations what life looks like when my spirit is alive and well in your midst. How life opens up and blossoms. How good it is to live in a relationship with God. And I have not chosen Esau for the primary place in that relationship. God had said to Rebekah, the older will serve the younger. Which means there was room for Esau in that relationship. Except Esau wasn't the top dog. He wasn't number one in the relationship. He had to submit to Jacob. The older was going to serve the younger. And if Esau would submit and surrender to God's divine economy, God's divine design in who would be number one in that relationship, there was room for Esau in being a member of the church and as such also being part of that nation who was a bearer of the Spirit of God and as such also being a blessing for the nations by having the Spirit of God working him as well. I have loved you. I have chosen you to be number one in my relationship with my people. And I have rejected Esau from being number one. And according to language of that time, the word hate was used. Just like Jesus will use the word hate later as well. He who does not hate father and mother for my sake is not worth being my follower. Has nothing to do with emotional hate. It has everything to do with priority. With who is number one. Is the Lord Jesus going to be number one or your parents? And you can't have your parents be number one. Jesus is always number one in the relationship. And Jesus uses the word word hate for that. And I discussed this with the seniors at a Bible study. And one brother says, well, why didn't they pick another word? Why did they use the word hate? I go, well... I didn't write the Bible. I said, that's how language works. At least that's how language worked at that time. And so there you have it. Israel is doubting God's love. And God is responding to this doubt. And he says, look, I've chosen you over Esau. That's a manifestation of my love. And not only have I chosen you to be number one in the relationship, I've also providentially provided for you in that relationship. I've allowed you to enter into the promised land. The land of milk and honey. And if you take the time from when the Lord spoke to Rebekah 
the older will serve the younger to the time of Malachi. We're looking roughly, brothers and sisters, at 16 centuries. So for 16 centuries after the choice, I have loved you. God also for 16 centuries has manifested that loving choice by providentially providing for Israel in the land of Canaan. And he had not done so for Esau. Not because he didn't like Esau. God loves the world. That's emotional love, right? God loves the world. God loves the world. He lets his rain come down on the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the sun shines on the good and the bad and the ugly. God God shows manifestations of his love for the whole world. God is patient with this godless world. Because he doesn't want anybody to perish, but everyone to come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so just because God didn't providentially provide for Esau like he had done for Jacob, doesn't mean he didn't emotionally love Esau. Of course he did. But God didn't providentially provide because Esau resisted God's order. Esau rejected God's order. Esau kicked against the goads, as it were, all the time and did not want to submit to God's plan. And so Esau was outside of the promised land. The older will serve the younger, but the older didn't want to serve the younger. So the older was not providentially provided for like the younger was provided for. And in reminding Israel of this, God through Malachi is seeking to encourage Israel because she is doubting God's love in a spirit of being disillusioned. And God is seeking the same with you this afternoon. You and I who may also sometimes doubt whether God loves us. And God says to you and me this afternoon, I have loved you. I have entered into a relationship with you. I have chosen you to be my church. I have chosen you to be the bearer of my spirit and to show to the world just how good life really becomes when you surrender to the spirit, live in the spirit, keep in step with the spirit. And I've also formalized that relationship with you. Look at the sacrament of holy baptism. I have loved you. Look at Lord's Day 1. What's your only comfort in life and death? I am not my own. 
but I belong to the Lord Jesus. I have loved you. And God has also providentially provided for you all those years after your baptism, your birth and your baptism. If you're only seven years old, then for seven years God has provided for you as a manifestation of his love. And if you're almost 91 years old, then God has providentially demonstrated his love for you for 91 years. And take a moment and think about that. Count your blessings. Name them all one by one. But not only should we focus on God's demonstrations of his love in the past, if we doubt whether God loves us, we should also focus on God's demonstrations of his love in the present. That's also an antidote, a cure to doubting God's love. Look at what had happened to Israel in the present. Israel had been sent off into exile. And now they were living in the promised land again. Right at that moment when they are saying, how have you loved us? I mean, come on, give the Lord a break. You've been allowed to return into the promised land, and there you are, living in the promised land. And the temple of all things has been rebuilt. The temple, the place where heaven and earth meet. The temple, the sphere of salvation. Just like the church is the place where heaven and earth meet. The church is the sphere of God's salvation. Because the church is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of Jesus' disciples, Jesus says to one of his disciples, I saw heaven opened and angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Jesus is the link. Jesus is the ladder between heaven and earth. And there they are in the land of Canaan and the temple, the place where heaven and earth meet, has been rebuilt in the present. And they say, how have you loved us? Yeah, it wasn't the messianic age. I mean, the land wasn't like lush and green, like the Garden of Eden. And the borders of the land of Canaan, of the people of Israel, were not like the old Davidic kingdom. But what they did have was not nothing. It's a great manifestation of the love of God. And God had not done so for Esau. Had not done so for Edom, as the nation that came from Esau is known. Not because God didn't emotionally love Esau. God loves the world. They have to take that seriously. God loves the world. 
God emotionally loved Esau. He just hadn't picked Esau for the number one spot. He had rejected Esau from that spot. And so Esau resisted God's plan for his life. Esau hardened himself against God's grace in Jacob's life. Esau wanted to be the first and not the second. And so there were very little manifestations of God's love in the present in Esau's life. At least when it came to being allowed to return to the land. You see, Edom had helped the Babylonians when the Babylonians took the Israelites into exile. They were so mean. Imagine if an enemy comes for you and you go running away because you're so afraid, right? And so these Israelites were scattered off all over the place and they come to the border of Edom and there you have Jacob's older brother standing there And instead of protecting his next of kin, Edom handed these people that were afraid over to the enemy. And the prophet Obadiah rails against this awful attitude of Edom. And so God had sent the Nabataeans in. It's an Arabian tribe of northern Arabia. And they had laid the land of Edom waste. See, Israel's back in the land. Edom's land is laid waste by the Nabataeans. Because it wanted to be number one and not number two. And even if Edom would say, we will rebuild, right? We've got what it takes to be number one. God says they may rebuild, but I will demolish. It's not going to happen. Not because I don't emotionally love them, but because they have constantly resisted my plan for my church Because they have constantly opposed my plan for my church, now my wrath lies upon them forever. There is a time when God's grace and His patience runs out. And so God says to the Israelites, look at the present. You doubt my love? says the same to you and to me. Look at what's going in, going on in your life right now. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. And see what the Lord has all done for you. Paul writes so beautifully in the Philippians 4, Do not be anxious about anything but with prayers and petitions and thanksgiving. Make your petitions known to God. That word, and thanksgiving. No matter how dark your life may be, 
No matter what is happening in your life, there's always room for thanksgiving. Always room to focusing on God's love for you in the present. And do that. Do that when you're insecure that God loves you. Focus on the past and focus on the present. And also focus on the demonstrations of his love that will take place in the future. Look at verse 5. You will see, that little word it is not in the text, You will see with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. And then go to verse 11. Verse 11 says, My name will be great among the nations from the rising of the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord God Almighty. It's a little cryptic. It's a little tightly written there in verse 5. But it comes down to this. God says to Israel, in the future, you will also see manifestations of my love. In my work of salvation, that was verse 11, and in my work of judgment, hooking back to verse 4, in the future, If Israel would abide in God's love, they would see that the Gentiles would come to faith. They would see that one day there would be this countless multitude from every nation who would be abiding in God's love and who would experience all the different manifestations of God's love. That will happen. And their doubt will turn to praise. And they will say, Great is the Lord beyond the borders of Israel. It's not even confined to this little nation Israel. But they will also see it in His work of judgment. In God's work of judgment, in all those who resist His work of grace in the church. There is a day coming that is the day of judgment. Some will enter into the kingdom. Others will be thrown out into the outer darkness. And God's church will say, Great is the name of the Lord beyond the borders of Israel. And what Malachi, what God through the words of Malachi was intending to do with Israel to encourage them and convince them of God's love, he does the same to you. Look at what's happening in China, brothers and sisters. Look at how the millions of people are coming to the faith. 
Look at what's happening in Latin America. What's happening in Africa. The flame on the candle in North America and Europe is increasingly diminishing in size. But the flame is increasing in size in Asia, in South America, and elsewhere in Africa. God loves the church. He really does. And God demonstrates his love for the church. So rejoice. Rejoice in the fact that God loves you. He loved you in the past when he made a relationship with you and formalized that relationship with baptism. And he does it every time with the Lord's Supper as well. It's a formalizing of the relationship. He loves you in the present and he will love you in the future. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.